The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of Shaken and Stirred. We are shaking, we are stirring, and by the end of this, we will all be slurring. I'm with my good friend Tom Astor in the UK, in Oxford. Hi, Tom. How are you, mate? Hi, nice. Really good, thanks. How are you? Very well, very well. You were commenting on my hair, how, how sort of shiny and bald I was looking. Thank you for that, by the way. Randomly bald. You, I don't know if you look like that. Well, I'm not going to say it, actually. Kojak is what you were thinking, wasn't it? No, yeah. no, it wasn't, but yeah. It's looking at you, babe. It's the wrong cut for this time of year up at upstate New York, surely. No, I was going for the king and I. You've certainly achieved that. Yul Brenner. Well, you're with the king, so that makes sense. There you go. I'm with the king. That's, who's that, you? Well, you just said the king and I, so... What are you drinking, Tom? Well, it's Friday, so I pulled the stops out this evening. And an old favourite of mine, and when you say we'll be slurring by the end of it, we probably will, I've got a good old-fashioned champagne cocktail. Oh, look at that. Yeah, champagne, so a little bit of brown sugar. But you should have a little brown sugar lump in the bottom of the glass, soaked in Angostura bitters with a little smidgen of brandy, and then filled up with champagne. Love it. You know what? It's funny because our guest today... He hates sugar. He hates sugar. I know. <laughs> and That's he's, why I he's, he's written books about how you shouldn't have sugar. It's all about not eating sugar. And the funny thing, I was thinking, what should I make? And then I ended up going, because I just wanted it, right? I wanted something. It's the end of the week. And I thought to myself, I just want something fun, completely out of season. And it, I ended up making myself one of the sweetest cocktails I've ever made. I made a pina colada. <laughs> And it's laced with sugar. It's got coconut milk, but it was the Coco Lopez, which is like highly sweetened sugar. It comes out of a can. I got pineapple juice, and I also got a pineapple that I put in there, so it's got fruit juice. And I used Mount Gay Barbados rum, one of my faves. Uh, and it's super easy, you know, totally affordable. So cheers, mate. <laughs> it's nice. We won't tell our guests what we're doing. No, we must. We must ask him how one can enjoy a champagne cocktail if one takes sugar out of it. By the way, I've been to Mount Gay. I'm sure you have. Still the same people, still the same family. It's an extraordinary place. It's a weird, it's got this very weird um, vibe to it when you go there, because it's the old plant, you know, the old plantation. Mm. There's something sort of, I mean, I don't want to spoil your, your favorite rum, but it's got something quite, there's something quite sinister about the whole place. And I think it's because they kept, the history as it was, and they've got a lot of the old slavery bits and pieces that, you know, was obviously used to create that rum you are drinking. Well, thank you for that. Let's talk about Debbie Downer on, on a, at the end of the week. But I, I hear you, and there is no doubt that rum clearly has a rather outrageous and, and storied and history, you know, history with a lot of slavery. There's no doubt about it. I mean, clearly, that's where it came, comes from. Do you think there'll come a time, a moment when... The movement, to, you know, if they're ripping down statues of, you know, of people who are connected to slavery and, you know, all the rest of it in America and in the UK, do you think there'll come a moment where people will just say you can't, you have to boycott certain products because it's ethically? I think they already are. I think that's already happening. And I think you're seeing that currently going on. But I think when the situation with rum, it's less about boycotting rum, it's perhaps drinking rum that is the owners of, of the rum that the family history isn't such that it, you know, involves slavery or, and there are, you know, black owned rum companies as well, right? So it's not simply a rum thing. It's just the history of rum, unfortunately, was so connected with the slave trade. And you know, it happened so much in the Caribbean and uh, in the Bahamas 
Bahamas and what have you, and you know places like Barbados. And to your point, the history is shocking, and one should be horrified by it. But clearly, that is you know, this was established in 1703, Mount Gay. But um, yeah, no, listen, I think that's a whole conversation which we should have. I'd love to dive into that on another episode where we'll go deeper into what all that means. That's very interesting. You might bring on someone who's an expert in it to talk about it. In the meantime, some booze news. A little bit of booze news. Rather interesting how, how you sort of describe this. American Airlines has so much extra wine that it is just starting a delivery service. Now, you know how we used to, we'd all fly, you know, we all fly. I mean, the best part, and I've talked about this before in this podcast too, like is drinking on an airplane. I've always enjoyed a glass of wine. And then the first thing I do is I get on is actually have a glass of wine almost immediately before the thing's taken off. And I'm not a particularly happy flyer, so I think it's, it calms my nerves. And so having a glass of wine and perhaps having a cocktail or whatever it might be, and oftentimes the cocktails, in my opinion, are better than the wine because the wine's somewhat dodge. And American Airlines, I can't tell you, I can't say I've ever thought of it as having the really particularly good wine, but they are deciding to create their own sort of wine delivery um, service because they've got so much wine left over from all their orders of wine, no one flying. And because even if you fly business class right now, and even first class on some of these flights in America, they can't actually give you wine. They've stopped serving wine on flights for COVID reasons and not serving food and drink. So they've got this huge surplus of wine and they're calling it American Airlines flagship sellers. And it's giving customers a chance to buy wine by the bottle in custom curated cases by a monthly subscription plan that costs $99 a month. The, the most expensive offering is a $300 three pack of champagne. Now, it comes down to the fact that apparently this whole project is only going to rake in about forty dollars to $50,000 for American Airlines. It does let you know just how desperate the airline situation is that forty dollars to $50,000 of wine sales is going to shift the needle at all. They're suggesting that it isn't going to shift the needle. That what it will do is remind people of first-class travel. They can drink their favorite first-class wine from American Airlines. I mean, I might, it better not be coming in those tiny little piddly little bottles is all I can say. Yeah, also, the thing about being on airplanes, I mean, sure, if you're in first class and stuff, you get, you you know, the tipple's going to be better, but generally speaking, you know, you're on an airplane, you don't really have a choice. I mean, you know, you know you're not issued with an, an enormous wine list for obvious reasons. I'd say that the wine on airplanes isn't that good. I'd say this is, this is, this is probably, I don't know what they're trying to do, but it, I, I'm, I'll be intrigued to know if there's any take up at all on it. I think it's desperation, if you ask sorry, me. Sorry, or should I say, I'd be interested to see if this uh, takes off in any way. Boom, boom. Okay, on that note, we will leave it. We have a rather exciting guest uh, who I love. Um, He's an extraordinary guy. I have a lot of his products actually in my house, as it happens. I even have his book. So without further ado, a little drum roll here as we boom, 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 to bring you in. Our guest today is becoming, very fast becoming a good friend of mine. In fact, he just called me baby. Um, <laughs> he's a chiropractor, he's a functional nutritionist, a longevity expert with tips and hacks to squelch your sugar cravings, sorry, Tom, become f- fat-burning machines, again, sorry, Tom, and optimize your overall well-being. He's the founder of the Joffrey Wellness Center and Alchemine. He's also the author of several books, his most recent being Get Off Your Acid, and your, I've got one right in my hand here, which is Get Off Your Sugar, and it's amazing. I've been, I'm addicted to it. Please welcome Dr. Daryl Joffrey. 
How are you, mate? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, always so great to be with you. I just, your energy is contagious and uh, I'm just super excited for this today. This is awesome. Thank you so much. So, all that sugar he's been eating. <laughs> I know, right? So what's up, Doc? What are you drinking? I have a couple things in my little makeshift bar right here, which you can see as I slide it over. So we're going to start here with some Ciroc, which is uh, a very premium vodka, but not just any vodka. This is a grain-free vodka. And uh, Nigel, you know, in our past discussions, everything I do, I always try to make it the best version of, of what I'm using. So I took that. Uh, we have it on the rocks. This is stirred, not shaken. Sorry, Mr. Bond, one of my favorite heroes. So what I do is we put one of our scoops of our acid-kicking minerals in here, and that's what's giving it that little yellow color. So what the acid-kicking minerals are doing is they're giving it a nice lemon flavor, but it's also going to neutralize some of the acid. So now we can enjoy this little vodka, but also we can keep on being healthy with that. And then I'm going to take some lime, going to squeeze a little lime right into that. And we are ready to go. And I use my little frother here, which I mixed before we started. That's what kind of mixes it up. But my guilty pleasure is this other one right here. Um, I've always been a big fan of Bailey's, but I stopped drinking this many, many years ago when I got off my sugar because I removed dairy from my diet. But what I like about what they recently did is they made a vegan Bailey's. So this is made from almond milk. And this is my wife's favorite drink. So don't let her know that I stole this from the refrigerator. But cheers, Chelsea. Love you. Uh, I'm going to have a double fist today. There you go. Wow. Double fisting. Here we go. <laughs> Dr. Joffrey. Well, first of all, I've got so many questions immediately. Nothing to do with double fisting either. And, and, and actually, what I would love to know is that almond milk Bailey's that is a phenomenal thing. I did not know about that. I need to speak to my production, my producers. What on earth's going on? Why do I not know about almond milk Baileys? First of all, I don't drink milk either, right? So that I'd love that. My wife loves Baileys and hasn't had any in years. So literally, I'm good to go now of what on just that piece of knowledge <laughs> for the rest of the world. Dr. Joffrey, you always do unusual things. I've seen you drink olive oil with lemon juice squeezed in the morning. You've shown us that. My mother, by the way, is now swearing by it. You've Amazing. convinced, or she was like, oh, I'm doing that thing that Dr. Joffrey said, and I can tell you I already feel better. You know, she's like, I feel lighter and I feel energized. You know, you're sort of an alchemist at the same time. You're mixing all these things together that almost seem like they don't go together, like oil and lemon juice, and sort of right. saying, that's going to help you. At what point were, did, did you realize, okay, when you got into nutrition that, we had to shake things up so dramatically to really sort of restart people. What was this, that moment for you? I, I got to say, this is kind of my straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. I was leaning down to adjust a patient many, many years ago, 42 pounds heavier than I am today, and my pants split literally right down the backside. Uh, it was a, a painful, embarrassing moment, but it was also a wake-up call that I called myself the shoemaker with no shoes. You know, I was the walking contradiction, telling my clients to do this for your health, you know, don't eat your sugar. Then I'd be going back in my back office. What was I eating? I was eating sugar, massive amounts of sugar. It literally had a stranglehold on myself. So um, at that moment, it was just kind of that, like that final moment that I said, hey, you got to start walking the walk and living this lifestyle. If you expect, number one, to be healthy, live a longer life and be there for the people that you love and care about, but also um, to help the people that I'm serving. You know, you got you to gotta be that role model if you expect them to do it. And it's the same thing now with our children. So, you know, I became a health investigator. You know, I love food. I'm a foodie and, uh, as you said, an alchemist. It's got to taste good for me to live this thing for the long term. 
So I became a raw food chef and just started really experimenting. And I'm gonna tell you in the beginning, more of it was bad than good. But as I just got into that kitchen and started mixing and making, it got better and it got better. Um, so it's just, it's just a matter of time and progress. But the whole point of everything I'm doing now with Get Off Your Sugar is so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I went through all the ups and downs in my life and literally coaching so many clients so that everyone out there that's gonna read the book or do the things that we're talking about can get the results and fast track to where they wanna go. You, you, you mentioned, and I wanna get back to sugar, but you just mentioned something that triggered something in my mind. You talk, I mean, you talk about raw food and what have you. And now I remember many years ago, I mean, I'm talking 20 years ago. So it was like close to 30 at that point, but a good friend of mine developed cancer mm. and he couldn't afford to take the medication and, 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 and everything, he was really stuck. He didn't have health insurance and a whole bunch of different stuff. And I remember this, it was a tragic situation. This guy was incredibly well-built, seemed fit and healthy, developed cancer out of nowhere and it ravaged him. And he was like literally last resorts. And I just remembered this and it was something which I sort of took for granted, but was very interested at the time. He pulled himself off all the medication that they were giving him, everything. Because you know, they were like, you're going to die. They gave him a death sentence. They said, you're, you've got like a seven months to live type of situation. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And it was just, we're all looking at this sort of guy in his early 30s and thinking, oh my God, right? And he put himself on a raw food diet, only raw food, nothing else. And it was sort of unheard of at the time, at least. And I kid you not, this guy's alive today, Wow! right? So he somehow got himself in remission. Now, one could say, oh, maybe it was going to happen anyway. Da, 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 da. We don't know, blah, blah, blah. But this was the very first time I'd ever heard of it. And this guy swears by this, right? It's He swears by it. And, it, you know, of course, it's sort of, it's it's become more popular. But can you talk to us about the power of raw food and and how, because I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, we make it for our children. You know, we, we have babies and we grind up carrots and give them pureed carrots and stuff like that. But we, for us, we don't do that. We cook everything. We boil everything to annihilation. And I think it's so important what you're saying there because it's sort of, it becomes almost an afterthought. Oh, yeah, raw food. You know, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that, right? Yeah, it's way bigger than that. And it's a, such a powerful story. And I, Nigel, I can't tell you how many stories I hear like that. It's just truly empowering. Um, and it just shows you the power of food, strength food specifically. And yes, I mean, the annihilation is the right word because most of what we're eating is not food. It's it's processed crap, C-R-A-P, and that's completely refined and processed. So we got to move away from that. But the thing that's amazing about raw foods, and I'm not 100% raw, it's a big part of my diet, but it's important to make that part of your diet in some form of another because when you eat foods raw, whether that's uh, you know a green juice or a smoothie or a salad, even doing something like a flash steam or saute, which gives you that kind of saute um, nature to the to the recipe that you're having, uh, but you're only doing it for no more than four minutes, it preserves the enzymes in the foods that you're eating, and that's where all of the incredible power come in these foods, and that's why they're so good for you. You know, my father dealt with something very similar to that. He had a, just a, a really horrific battle with cancer. He passed away a few years ago. But, you know, I'll never forget the doctors telling him that he had a few months to live. And they did that PET scan, which is when they give the body radioactive glucose, which is basically sugar attached to x-ray. And basically, when you ingest that, what happens? The cancer loves sugar. And why is that? Because it requires sugar to be alive. Cancer cells are going to suck up uh, the sugar 18 times more than a normal healthy cell. So I'll never forget that picture of this glowing pink ball right there where his esophageal cancer was. 
So at that point, he had already gone through um, uh, in the next couple of months a round of chemo and radiation, and uh, it just he almost died from it, to be honest with you. So after that, the doctor said, "Hey, you know, you can try another round of this. Um, there's not really much more we can do for you." So at that point, my dad said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And literally, we just went at this a completely other way. He went on a hundred percent alkaline diet. I'm going to tell you, he did not like it because you know stubborn Italian fathers used to all those uh, traditional Italian foods. But to his credit, and to my mom's credit, he did it. And uh, we did so many other things. And you know, again, it wasn't enough to save his life, but it prolonged his life by about three years. And it was enough to meet my daughter, Aaliyah. So um, it's very powerful, Nigel. I mean, these foods are packed with nutrients. They're highly alkalizing to the body. They strengthen your body. They strengthen your energy. They strengthen your immune system. And I look at the immune system on live blood cell testing every single day in my wellness center. I see how your cells are reacting to your epigenetics, the lifestyle choices you're making, the foods you eat, how you move your body, even how you're thinking. The stress is critical, how we're managing our stress, especially now with what's going on in our current terrain. So I, I agree with you more. These are the types of foods that we want to start to add and stack into our diet. You mentioned, I mean, obviously, more than mentioned, we've talked about it and you've written books about it, but the whole point about acid and alkaline. And, and I think that you know, this is even something with myself, I sort of struggle with a little bit because use of lemon juice must be acidic, right? So you're putting that lime juice, it's got to be acidic, squeezing that into your drink. But there are, I guess, good acids or better acids. And then but then also, also the alkaline question. I mean, you know, I hear you, you're saying it's better to be alkaline, but then there's the question, why? So why is it why is it better? And and I, I guess educate us because I, I don't know why I should be alkaline. Yeah, and I don't want to get too complicated with the science, but I want to explain this because I think it's important. Um, and too far on either side of the spectrum is bad, right? So too alkaline is not good, just like too acidic is not good. And you know, think about that from a common sense standpoint. Um, you know, it's like opposite sides of the same coin where acid is bad, alkaline is good. So not many people understand what that word alkaline is, but people know what acid is, right? Acid is so corrosive, it could literally burn a hole through metal. So think about what that does when you ingest foods that are acidic in nature. And when I say acidic, these are foods that metabolize into these acid salts into the body. So for example, sugar, which I'm going to tell you is probably the worst acid of them all, metabolizes to lactic acid. Grains, which are, are really bad, they punch holes in your gut, they cause leaky gut, they drive up your blood sugar and your insulin levels, which is bad. That metabolizes to sulfuric acid, which is bad. Something like dairy's lactic acid. If you eat too much animal protein, that becomes nitric acid, phosphoric acid, and sulfuric acid, the triple threat. So again, the question is, is what are these foods doing to your body when you eat them and when they're metabolized? So to your question before about lemons and limes, which I'm having right here, yes, these are citric acid, but that's outside of the body. The question is, is when you put this in your drink, what is that doing inside the body? So they're actually alkaline forming. They're not alkaline. They create alkalinity in the body. And why is that? Because something like lemons and oranges, they're high in minerals, they're high in nutrients, but they're low in sugar. And that's the two points you need to drive home when you're looking at a food. Now compare that to something like an orange, which again, a lot of people eat oranges, they drink orange juice. I'm gonna tell you orange juice is probably the worst thing you can drink in the morning or give your children. It's not gonna help the immune system. Even though there's vitamin C in it, it's actually gonna suppress your immune system. Calorie for calorie, there's more fructose in orange juice than there is in a can of cola. That's how bad it is for you. Because here's what's happening. You're taking all the juice of that orange, which is literally sugar water. And here's the thing. 
Oranges are high in minerals, they're high in vitamin C, but they're also high in sugar. And that's the thing that we gotta be careful of. So I think that's the take home is that we gotta really think about what these foods are doing inside the body. Even something like spinach is acidic. It has a pH of 6.4. So the scale goes from zero to 14. Zero is pure acid. That's like really, really bad. 14 is pure alkaline. That's not good either. Seven's neutral. So the pH of something like spinach is 6.4. But we all know that Papa ate his spinach, gave him the strong muscles, right? So again, spinach is loaded with so many innately good nutrients. There's probably no better food that you could put into the body. So we don't really care about the pH of that food. What I care about is what that does inside the body. And here's the thing. The blood, which is the most important pH that we care about, is the one we got to focus on. And it's always slightly alkaline at the number 7.4. And here's how you remember that. Seven days a week, four seasons a year, your blood is slightly alkaline. And why is that? For one reason and one reason only. So your body and your blood can transport oxygen, the number one most important nutrient of the body. When you have more oxygenation in your body, you're breathing healthy, you're eating foods that oxygenate you, guess what happens to your immune system? It becomes so powerful. Things like the coronavirus, influenza, and the common cold have a much harder time penetrating that cell. But when your body's acidic, again, acid's corrosive, it corrodes your cells, it drives up inflammation, it makes your body store fat, it ages you prematurely, it's going to make your body more vulnerable, more susceptible to the things that we want to be avoiding right now. Amazing. And I, I don't think I've ever seen Tom so quiet in my life. All of a sudden, his <laughs> champagne cocktail, which was made with a, with a sugar cube at the bottom, with brandy and what else, he's probably thinking to himself, oh my God, I'm burning a hole in my esophagus as I drink this. I'm uh, just thinking um, how acidic champagne is <laughs> and the brandy bitters and uh, sugar. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I was thinking as well, when you talk about the orange juice, I was like, God, you know, I can swear my 11-year-old son is, is, you know, I bought a big box of tangerines yesterday. They're gone. I mean, because he, he's just out of them all day, bam, 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 you know, and it's the sugar, you know, we, and, we, and it's not good for the teeth, it's not good for the body. But, but what, I, what I was actually thinking was, how do you start, begin to try and take what you're saying on board and actually convert it into something realistic for normal people who have never heard, you know, who just simply don't know the science, but where do you begin? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question because I think it's probably the most important thing we need to talk about because we're all at different levels. And I'm gonna tell you, I always wasn't like this. You know, I struggled with sugar addiction massively for a good portion of my life, going back to, I can remember age five. You know, sugar is not a food. We got to start calling sugar what it really is. It's a drug. I call it America's drug of choice. It's so addictive. It's actually eight times more addictive than cocaine. And this morning, this is a, a true story, and it's pretty crazy. I got a DM on Instagram from someone that follows me, and they were having really big struggles with sugar. She was addicted to crack cocaine. And what she said in this DM was, I had, I actually stopped cold turkey, crack cocaine, and she was able to beat that addiction. So kudos to her. But she's like, why can't I beat this sugar addiction? She's like, I, I can't believe how hard this is. So it just shows you, we don't think of sugar as something that's addictive, right? I mean, look at the cover of the book. There's a line. I did that strategically because it literally mimics that cocaine line. So you got to meet people where they're at. And I think before we start with what we want to do, what's the strategy, we got to start with the psychology. Um, for me, that's where I started because I tried for so many years, Tom, to beat this. I did it by deprivation. And here's the problem with that. It may work for a few people, but you're not getting there in a healthy way that's addressing the underlying reasons why you crave sugar in the first place. 
So most people, especially now in New Year's, New Year's, I mean, just a few days ago was January 15. And why was that so significant? 92% of people who set their New Year's resolutions or goals failed. I mean, how crazy is that to think about that? And here's why. Whatever health goal they were going for, whether that was exercise, but for a lot of people, it's getting off the crappy carbs. They did it by removal, by deprivation. So I, I think it's a very noble thing to do to say, all right, I want to give up this poison. And that's the thing. They took away the poison, but they never gave the body the antidote, the real things that you need that's going to address the underlying reasons of why you crave it in the first place. So I always start with my why. What's the reason? You said that word try before. I know it's just a word, but language to me is so, so powerful. And we all know what Yoda says, right? It's, uh, you know, do not try. Um, they say trying is lying. So we have to just say, I'm going to make this a commitment. I'm not going to try. I'm going to do this. I'm drawing a line in the sand. There's no going back. You have to want this bad enough. So when the stress comes, when the pandemic comes that we were all blindsided by, you're ready for it. It's about anticipation. So know what your purpose is. It needs to be so compelling that it drives you down to your very soul, gives you goosebumps. So for me, it's my own struggle with sugar, what it did for me and being that role model for my clients. But it's bigger than that. It's about my three-year-old Aaliyah. It's about my six-year-old Brayden. It's about my dad who died from cancer. This is what I think about every day that drives me to do what I do. So we start with that. So when things come up and when you know what hits the fan, it's like you can power through it or around it. But then you got to figure out and get some specific things that you can swap. So for example, instead of having chips and salsa, which I used to love, you know, instead of that, maybe I'll do some vegetable sticks with some hummus or guacamole. So just start at a low level, start to um, get some general swaps. Instead of fruit juice, have a glass of water with lemon. Or if you want to make it acid kicking, add a scoop of greens to that. So just start to tip that scale in your favor. And as you start to make progress over time, it might take a little bit longer, the good's going to outweigh the bad. So it's just about adding more of these healthy foods, more greens, more healthy fats. And this is what the whole book is about so that you build up that strength in the body. And as that happens, you're going to get that confidence, that certainty that you're not going to want to go for those sugary foods. So um, I think it's just really having some tips and tricks, definitely being prepared. And uh, when those cravings show up, you have to have some things that you're going to be able to do. And at the end of the day, it's about balance. That's why I love, Nigel, what we're doing here. Some of my clients might be like, oh, my God, Dr. Joffrey's drinking. What's gotten into him? But listen, yes, we can have drinks. We, it's all about balance. It's about giving your body the things that it needs to deal with the stresses in your life, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or chemical. There's no doubt that there's people out there that, I mean, extremism is rampant, right? So especially when it comes to diets or nutrition. People swear by this diet, swear by that diet. You know, I've, did, I've done this, I've done that. And, you know, I'm paleo or, you know, I do the Atkins or I do something or I do something else. And, you know, I mean, I myself have hurt myself by doing diets. You know, I, I did Atkins for a long time and looked great, but actually was not well at all on the inside. And it didn't, I didn't realize it until I went to increase my life insurance with my daughter and discovered that I was uninsurable, right? They said, no, you're uninsurable. In fact, you need to go see a cardiologist immediately. And I was like, what? My, my father died of a heart attack. So I quickly went to the, the you know, they said, actually, you, your cholesterol levels are so crazy that you're, it's as if you've been eating hamburgers all your life and you're a 75 year old man. Meanwhile, I was sort of 40, right? So, or younger, 38. You know, she told me, Dr. Um, Steinbaum, not sure if you know her, but she had asked me to become a vegan immediately. And I was, you know, someone who was eating meat and dairy and not carbs. And all of a sudden I was becoming a vegan. So I became a vegan overnight, complete radical. That line in the sand was drawn, 
But the interesting thing is I I got my cholesterol down by 100 points in just over nine months, Mm -hmm. right? So it was a huge radical change and and got my life insurance and made a huge change. I've never eaten meat again. So this is 12 years since that point. But, you know, when I look at the world out there, the issue I find is, is it's one thing for us and we're adults and we have control to some extent over what we eat, although it's hard, but we, we can sort of pick. But the problem, the biggest problem I feel is that is the next generation, our children at schools, school food, school meals, what we're offering our kids, the, the advertising, the marketing, this crazy drug and lobby of sugar that is out there that's so rampant. And, and how do we get around that? How do we deal with that? And how do we educate our kids? You know, and even if a tangerine is potentially bad for you, then what the heck? I mean, it's one thing saying a soda. We've all dropped a penny in a soda and watched it sort of get cleaned or disappear or don't do something crazy. And it's fun for children to see that. But it's a bigger education, wouldn't you think, to really to help our kids eat healthier from the beginning so that it doesn't even start. You know, it's a, that would be a massive change to the world's health. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it on the head. This is a topic that I'm so passionate about, Nigel. Um, you know, having two children myself, little ones, and I take care of a lot of children in my practice. I put a stat in my book that is is really just shocking to me. It makes me sad as a parent. For the first time ever in human history, our children, that generation, will have less of a lifespan than we do. To even think about that, it just breaks my heart. And when you look at kids, they're more addicted to sugar than we are. Uh, children actually consume far more sugar than we are. And you know, I think it's those processed foods. It's the, the sugar that snuck its way into the diet. And the tangerine is not the thing that we're really worried about. I mean, tangerine is a beautiful fruit, right? Uh, my kids love tangerines. We give them to them. I'll eat one. But again, it's like, I'm not going to eat 20. You know, it's that moderation. You can have it, but you also have to do diet variation. You talked about paleo, keto. There's so many different diets out there, but this is not about diet, right? What's the first three letters of diet? We're not dying. And that's what a lot of people are doing with these extreme diets. You got to do it the right way. I think what's more powerful than the diet itself is diet variation, which is really just getting a lot of different foods, um, seasonal foods into your diet. But to your point, we got to start with our children. And how do we start? How do we get our kids to eat healthier? Uh, you know, sorry, going back to you just said something a minute ago. Yeah, this sugar and stuff is, is snuck into our diet. It hasn't snuck into our diet. I disagree with you on that point. It hasn't snuck in. It's snuck in. I mean, as in the addicts haven't seen it coming, but it's intentionally being put into our diet by people who have an interest in getting large quantities of people hooked on the goddamn thing so that they can sell more products, so they can make more money. It, that's what it is. It's basically. You know, the war on drugs in America, well, that ain't working, is it? But, you know, there is a war on drugs. I'd imagine more people die of dietary-related issues than, than drugs, I would imagine. And if you're saying to me that, you know, the children in America are less lifespan than, they, than we do, that's insane. I mean, you know, there are companies that are intentionally getting people addicted to a product to sell more, and it is killing people. So who's keeping this, this stuff out of people's faces? Yeah, I mean, powerful point. And this is so true. These manufacturers want us addicted. This is all about the mighty dollar. They're making money. And here's the thing is that we have the power to control where we spend our money. If we're going to buy Coca-Cola or whatever the cola is, guess what? We're going to keep them in business. So I think it starts with the consumer. We have the power to control what's in the market and what's not based on what our buying choices are. And these manufacturers are smart. This, by the way, goes back to the 1960s when the sugar industry actually paid off three Harvard scientists, the equivalent of $50,000 then, which was a lot of money, to manipulate the studies. And what they showed was that sugar was not the culprit. That was the culprit. 
And what do we see for the next 70 years and are still seeing in our grocery stores? No fat, low fat. And we know now it's been proven in the literature that we need fat. If you want to burn fat, you have to eat fat. But remember, there are fats that heal and fats that kill. So I'm talking about the avocados, the raw nuts and seeds, and the healthy oils like uh, coconut oil and extra virgin olive oil. Um, so those are the things that we need. But this is what happened. So they took all the fat out of the food. But the problem was, Tom, it tasted like cardboard. And obviously, they weren't going to sell food that way. So in came the sugar industry to the rescue. And what do we see over the next 50 to 70 years? Massive amounts of sugar and artificial sweeteners. And in that same time span, we saw a direct proportional relationship to the increase in the number of cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, by the way, Alzheimer's, which happens from inflammation of the brain. Well, what's the number one thing that inflames the brain is sugar. So um, they're very smart. It's strategic. They want us addicted. And even on the labels, you can look at a label. It's not going to say sugar on the ingredients. It's going to say maltose, maltodextrin, dextrose, sucrose, all these names that people don't know what they mean. And those are all names for sugar. In fact, there are 62 different names for sugar that's hiding in the in the ingredients. And that's what I meant by that comment. And it's not like the old way that I used to do it, like the, the candy bars, the processed foods. People are having dessert for breakfast. They're having donuts and muffins and bagels um, and fruit juices. They're having coffee loaded with sugar and fake creamer. Basically, people are having cake and a milkshake for breakfast. And that's how they're starting their day. You eat sugar, your body's going to burn sugar. What are you going to crave? You're going to crave sugar. So goes that vicious cycle. So we got to get people off that stress eating roller coaster, move them over to strength eating. But it's it's such a powerful thing that we're overcoming. So what I did with my children is we're, we're, we're role models. We try to do the best that we can at home to live this lifestyle. And if we're living it, guess what they're going to do? They're going to live it. And in their schools where most parents would come in, which I love, they would read a story for the class with their children there. What Chelsea and I did last year, we brought a juice bar into the class. It was awesome. We brought our juicer in there. Kids were throwing things down the chute. It was flying everywhere. But guess what happened? By the end of that class, every child was drinking green juice. They were shouting juice. And more important, when they went home, they told mom and dad, we made green juice. So, you know, I think we just got to get involved with our kids, make it a game, be role models. As we do more of this, the kids are going to do this as well. But again, we're only strong as our weakest link, as they say. No, I love that idea of involving the kids. I mean, there's, you know, for us, I remember even with, you know, with my daughter and my son, our way to actually get them to eat vegetables was actually to have them prepare the vegetables. And it's funny, as soon as they start to cook them and, and make them themselves, and it's somehow they had a hand in it. And, you know, so what, you know, everyone says thank you to the mother or to the father, whoever's made dinner that day, you're like, oh, thank you for cooking for me. If all of a sudden they have ownership of one of the dishes and it was a vegetable dish or something, then they want everyone to try it because they made it, right? So they eat it too, and then they start to understand the vegetable and they be a, you know play a part of it. So yeah, absolutely, getting them involved, absolutely crucial. And you know, as far as other foods, okay, so we're talking about you know acids and alkalines and stuff, but there are so many other variations and there's so many other cultures, right? So you know, culturally, what does food mean in India and what does food mean in Asia and, and Know, the sort of if you're in Asia or you're eating a lot of rice perhaps and you know what what happened what's that mean what is that equal to the society and if you're in places like India you're eating a lot of pulses you know and, and dal and lentils and, and spice you know how does where does spice play into all of this and you talked about anti-inflammatory and I know that a lot of people in the fitness world always talk about ginger and things mm-hmm. like that you know talk to us about some of the importance and and, and of those sorts of things in the diet and, and and the sort of fun way of perhaps incorporating them I also, with that, could you also 
on the back of what Nigel just said, what is the country with the most balanced, perfect diet? I, I can't tell you which is the country with the most balanced, perfect diet, because I think within each country, you have a lot of different food philosophies. But I can tell you, based on health, we see countries like Sweden and Germany and Switzerland that are really leading the world in health. Now, you look at the United States. Here we are. We make up 5% of the population in the world. We spend over 50% of the world's money on medical care, which I call sick care. Don't get me wrong. We have the best crisis care system in the world, but we are not a healthcare system. This is a sick care system. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, rated us 72nd in world health. I'm going to tell you, I can't even name 71 countries ahead of us. So I find it pretty interesting that um, we're spending all this money, but what are we talking about? You know, with the coronavirus, no one's talking about how to strengthen your body. No one's talking about what foods you should be eating, except for things like this. But, you know, if you look at these different cultures, they have balance. You know, they're, they're doing different things to actually manage stress better. They're not, as far as the foods go, they're not as processed as the foods that we take in here. Something you mentioned, rice. I mean, there's a lot of cultures that eat rice it's hard for me to tell people to change what's in root in their culture. The best I can do is tell them what these foods do and then give them a better choice. If they choose not to have that better choice, we can give them other foods like the spices and herbs, which is the fourth um, step in my book. We have seven steps to help you get off your sugar. Step number four is adding more spices and herbs because I think they're the most powerful things you can put it into the body in terms of what they do to your metabolism. They drive down inflammation. You know, one of the things that I love to do every morning, which Chelsea and I do, is we will drink a ginger. Uh, Nigel, what you just mentioned, I love ginger. It's great for the uh, digestive system. Uh, turmeric, which is uh, a very powerful natural anti-inflammatory. Lemon, which is high in minerals. And then we'll sprinkle a little black pepper in there because what the black pepper does, it increases the potency of turmeric and its anti-inflammatory properties by 2000%. So those four ingredients, you, you, you can make it a hot tea, but we'll drink it hot maybe at nighttime, but we put it in a glass container in the fridge. So in the morning I could drink it as a cold detox iced tea because it's very detoxifying to the body, which I personally believe right now is more important than the nutrition that we have. We have to detoxify every day. Then I'll take a scoop of our greens. I'll put the greens in there. So, I mean, think about that. You're getting those herbs and spices and that chlorophyll. You start your day like that, you're energizing your cells, you're energizing your body, and there's a knock-on effect. If I feel great when I start, then I'm going to want to do more healthy things for my body. But if I start my day with, you know, just um, uh, in depression or anxiety or stress, I put the news on, which is giving me more stress and fear. You know, if I'm making a, a choice in that state, it's not gonna be a more powerful choice. But if I make a choice for what I wanna do in a peak state, that's a game changer. So for example, white rice, brown rice, what's the better option? Believe it or not, white rice is actually healthier for you than brown rice. I know that's probably shocking to some people hearing that. We all grew up thinking that brown rice was a health food, but it's a grain. And just like I started with the Sirac vodka, the goal is to remove grains from the diet because grains are gonna drive up your insulin. Insulin is your fast-storing hormone. It's gonna age you prematurely. It's gonna make your longevity less. It's gonna cause leaky gut. So the other thing about, right, about brown rice is it has lots of lectins and there's 80 times more arsenic in brown rice than white rice. So again, good, better, best. That's my philosophy. It's not about being perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't wanna be perfect. I don't want you to be perfect, but I would have white rice over the brown rice, but white rice still has no nutrition. So the better option would be have some quinoa, which is not a grain, it's a seed, or perhaps some wild rice. Again, it's not a grain, it's a grass. So that's the kind of approach I take with people. So wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, how can I make that specific food I'm eating that's probably acidic or processed 
a better version of that food. In turn, that will make me a better version of myself. It's about progress, not perfection. Well, I, I had no idea about the white rice, brown rice. It just blew me away with that little nugget. Right I, I'm completely, my entire life, and I actually kind of don't really, I mean, I like brown rice once you've done it, but it, first of all, it takes forever to make, so it's a pain in the butt. But you're yes. like, you know, it's always like, oh, the brown rice, we should make brown rice. And sometimes I make brown rice and white rice, and I'm like eating the brown rice to trying to convince myself that I like it more, but I really want the white rice. And now was all along, I should have been having the white rice anyway. For yeah. goodness sakes, where have you been all my life, for God's sakes? Um, look, I love that. I mean, that's a super important piece of information right there. And, and clearly, there's a, there's a lot of shifts that need to happen. But it's funny, when you were describing your drink, you know, the ginger, the turmeric, the black pepper, the lemon, all you need to do is throw in pulses. And that's actually lent, that's actually dull. That's the exact what we put in our, in Sri Lanka, which is where my mother's from, we call it paripu. It's the, the native name for lentils or dal, and which is what they eat over white rice. And it's what everyone eats, right? It's like the, almost the peasant food, basically. And, you know, it's the, one of the most delicious things that we make in our country. And, um, but it's, those are the ingredients. And so it's just funny. It's like, that's exactly verbatim what we put in. And absolutely delicious. Talking about diets, I mean, are there any good ones? I mean, if some people are, 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 is there a diet that you recommend? Is there any, or are there diets that you 100% do not recommend? Like, do not do this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal question. You talked about vegan diet, vegetarian diet, keto, paleo. You have to look at these specific diets. And I agree with you. We can't do this, these diets extreme. My wife is vegan, by the way, I married one, but she's a healthy vegan. And I'm going to tell you, most vegans that come to me that I coach, they're some of the sickest people on the planet. And I have so much respect for vegans and vegetarian. I have a little bit of wild-caught salmon a few times a month. So um, I'm a pescatarian, but 99% of my diet is plant-based. So I think at the core of whatever you're doing, 80% of your diet must be plant-based. I think that's the biggest thing missing in people's diet. I'm a huge fan of the ketogenic diet. But what happens when people go keto? A lot, it's, you know, it's a very in vogue word, just like intermittent fasting is very in vogue. And if you do it the right way, this has the power to transform your life. I mean, that's something that you can do to crush cancer. Cancer loves sugar, it hates healthy fat. That's one of the things that we did with my father. We removed the sugar, we gave him more of these healthy fats because that makes your body more metabolic flexible where you start to burn fat as your primary source of fuel, not sugar. So that's my approach with people is I try to get them to increase the greens and the healthy fats. And as you increase those, it outweighs the negative stuff of the other things you might be having. The problem with keto and paleo is when people start that, they don't fully understand how the diet really works. They just kind of read articles here and there. Not everybody, but most of us do this. And we increase the fats because we think that's what the keto is mainly about. And don't get me wrong, the fats are critical. But what they also do is consume far too much animal protein. Now, if you choose to eat animal protein, that's totally fine, but there's two things you need to know. Number one, it's about the quality of the animal proteins that you're eating. It must be, or ideally, right, grass-fed or if it's fish wild-caught, because if it's not, they're putting chemicals and antibiotics and growth hormone, and they're feeding it corn and soy, which is inflammatory, right? Corn and soy are omega-6 fats, which make our bodies inflamed. We need more of these omega-3 fats, which drive down inflammation. So my wife is a vegan. She eats lots of healthy fats, lots of greens. She also, it's vegan with an asterisk. So I'm apologizing to the vegans for saying this, but she consumes fish oil because the biggest deficiency I see in vegans and vegetarians are omega-3 fats. They're getting their omega-3 fats from things like chia, flax, and hemp, which are powerful foods. I eat them every day. But the problem is when you eat those, they need to convert 
to those omega-3 fats that you'll get when you eat something like wild-caught uh, salmon or trout or something like that. And the most that conversion happens is 1%. And we have a test that measures the inflammation. It's an omega-3 acid inflammation test. And vegans usually have more inflammation than meat eaters. So it doesn't matter about the diet, guys. It matters about what you consist of in your diet. So if you're keto, you have to keep those um, proteins in moderation because keto and paleo, what they do is they increase the fats, they increase the protein. So now you're getting too much protein. And here's the thing. Even if you weren't eating sugar in your diet, when your protein is more than 20% of your total calories for the day, it actually turns to sugar in your body, in your liver. It's a process called gluconeogenesis. So even too much protein is bad. And then the other thing they're doing, because there's so much protein and fat, not enough greens. So that can cause issues with your gut. So I look at my plate like this, lots of greens, lots of healthy fats, moderate protein. Most of my protein comes from plant-based. Um, but again, if you're animal protein, please don't have more than two to four ounces of animal protein per meal. It must be the sideshow, not the main event. And then you also got to get some of those fiber-rich, slow-burning carbs. That's like your quinoa, your wild rice, your sweet potatoes, butternut squash, winter squash, yams, things like that. But again, those carbs, they're healthier carbs, no more than half of a cup per meal. So it's really about adapting this to your lifestyle. I don't believe we should define ourselves by a specific diet. I don't call myself really anything. I just call myself healthy. And when I look at my plate, I know that the foods I'm putting on my plate are going to make my body stronger. What about things like Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat and all this new pretend meat burgers and stuff? Not, I'm not talking veggie burgers. I'm talking this sort of uh, like, you know, it still bleeds when you cut it in half type of fake meat type of stuff, which is sort of taking the world by storm now and it's everywhere. I had an Impossible Burger more than once and I actually quite enjoyed them, to be honest with you. I quite, I quite like them. But it, and it's funny because I'm not one of those vegetarians because I don't eat meat, but I'm not one of them who wants to have fake meat. I yeah. sort of don't like the whole concept of even eating meat. So it doesn't, it kind of is a bit freaky for me. And I quite like veggie burgers because I like the fact they taste like black beans, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. because they taste like meat. So what about stuff like that? Is that okay? Thing you can yeah. teach yeah. us about? Well, you said the word pretend. I think that's where we got to focus on because it's pretend food. It's highly processed. I'll never forget the day that I tried that for the first time. My wife actually filmed the video. I think I posted it on Instagram. And as I started eating, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. And literally, Nigel, two bites into this. I just had this like disgusted look on my face because I, I don't eat that type of meat anymore either. And I felt like I was eating meat. And when I, I eat, I want a real veggie burger if I'm gonna eat a veggie burger, right? Um, I don't want the kind of pre the pretend kind as you mentioned. And um, I just felt like I was eating meat and that's not what I wanted. And I actually couldn't finish it. I was actually kind of disgusted by it. And I've never eaten it since. And, you know, there's been studies where they find things like glyphosate in it. And um, again, it's just highly processed. I would submit to you that a grass-fed burger from a really healthier, clean source is, is healthier for you than having something like that. So yeah, that's my take on it. And then you have the bread on top of that, right? Which is probably the other bad part about it. So there's healthy veggie burgers out there, and then there's unhealthy. It's become a very in vogue thing to eat, probably since that movie Game Changers, which I thought was a pretty powerful documentary. Um, what I loved about it is that a lot of people kind of started doing more plant-based and even turning to vegan vegetarian. But again, I'm going to say this over and over and over. There's a healthy way to do it, and there's an unhealthy way to do it. We have to eat more of those plants and less of the carbs. So I appreciate not eating the animal protein if you choose to do that. But what a lot of vegetarians are doing is they're replacing it with sugar and carbs. And I think it's actually only making them more unhealthy. So okay. 
you you brought up game changers. I love this because I, I'm listen. I'm a pescatarian too. My wife's pretty much a vegetarian, and, and actually, I, I'm a pescatarian. But like you, I eat fish a couple of times a month. So I'm basically a vegetarian. I, I do eat a piece of cheese every now and then, and I like eggs. So and I, and I, I don't really drink milk ever. I haven't drunk milk in years, but I do uh, mostly nut milks kind of guy. But yeah. I, I eat cheese. That's sort of whatever. I'm not trying to lord it over anybody else. I don't really. It's just my own thing, and half of it's just the way I like to eat. Um, I thought you felt like you booked an appointment. Sorry, I thought you were like treating this like a consultation. Well, something. I am, Tom. I was waiting for. So, so what do you think about that, Doctor? I mean, like, come on, that's carry what on. That's what this whole thing is about. It's right? like I, the I wanted spectrum. to have the doctor on so I could have this basically asking all my questions that right. I, I so you could answer them all so I wouldn't have to go to the doctors. It's perfect. Without paying for it. Brilliant. I'm sure I'll have to pay at some point, Tom. There'll be some something will cost me, I can tell. I need books and, and all kinds of products for, for months and years to come. Um, get off your acid and all these alkaline products. But you mentioned Game Changers. Now, this is for everyone out there. It's a very interesting documentary. It talks about the sort of athletes and top, top professionals who have really changed their career and their life by changing their diet, mostly to become vegan, vegetarian, and all the rest of it. And what a huge shift that made. And, and some of these top professionals. Now, I actually thought, and I like the movie, I like the documentary, I advise everyone to check it out. It's fascinating. But I did think there were some holes. And one of them was this sort of, they would compare animals, right, that were out there who were very strong and tough, like a rhino or an elephant, you know, and sort of say, look, these huge, big, powerful animals, they eat grass, they eat vegetables, they don't eat meat. And I was like, okay, because at last... Look, I'm not sure I wanted to be an elephant or a rhino. And then they show you the sort of leopard and the tiger who only eat meat type of thing. And they're like shredded and looking really sexy on a rock. And I'm like, really bad analogy here because, you know, I want to be the Black Panther. I don't want to be the, the rhino or the hippo. <laughs> so there were elements of that particular show where they, put, they drew kind of analogies as to what was healthy, what was best, and animals that do this versus animals that do that. That for me didn't really make sense because if you look at the lions, the tigers, clearly, you know, these are meat-eating carnivores and they're sort of shredded, right? And, and right. We, have, we live in a culture that wishes to be shredded. I mean, that's regardless of whatever, no matter how much, you know, we talk about body shaming and everything, at the end of the day, people are like, if they had the option of being one look or the other, most people are like, oh, I'd like to be all ripped or something. I mean, not everybody, but there's a, you know, there's a sort of a leaning towards of that kind of physique, right? So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important point because we are all animal species, but we're different. You know, we have different digestive systems. And to your point, some animals just graze, other animals will actually eat meat. So, you know, how can we make that comparison? So we're humans and we're all bio-unique. That's what we have to understand is that, you know, Nigel, what, what might work for you? And Tom, what might work for you is different than what might work for me. And you just got to listen to your body at the end of the day. And what is your body really telling you? You know, so for me, a little bit of wild-caught salmon here and there is actually, I believe, for me, healthy. You know, I've gone 100% plant-based. It's been very powerful for me. Um, but I find that when I add a little bit of that healthy source of animal protein, my body does a little bit better. But for my wife, she's vegan, you know, but she still takes fish oil. So I think it's really the fact that we are all unique, bio-individual people, and we have to start treating ourselves that way. And that's why it's not one size fits all. You know, when people come to me, my whole motto is let's test, not guess. 
We need to know what's going on in terms of what your specific body is dealing with. Now, I can tell you what the five top supplements are that I think everybody needs to be taking, even our children, just based on what the research shows we're all deficient in because our soils become massively depleted from the minerals and the nutrients. But again, there's specific things that you might need and that I might need that only a specific test will tell us. So I think that is something that we have to really look into, which is even if we feel good, it doesn't mean that something's building or brewing in the body. Never wait for that toothache to start taking care of your teeth. You brush, you floss, you go to the hygienist, and it's the same thing with our diet and the way we move our body, exercise. We have to be proactive about our health, um, and we have to do uh, eat foods that nourish our microbiome because I really believe that that's where our health starts. So many issues come from the microbiome, the gut. You know, 80% of your immune system lives there. 80% of your nerve system lives there. But, you know, movies like that, I think they're, I think they're powerful, but we have to kind of take it for what it is. For me, there's a couple of things in it that I did find that were some holes, for instance, about soy. Soy is a product that I just don't eat. My, my wife, um, I tell her, you know, that it's not something that she should eat as well because of what soy does. Most of it's genetically modified. Uh, it's going to, you know, give you those phytoestrogens. And so there's a couple of things that I thought were incongruent, but I would say the overall message was very powerful. I think it's something that everybody should watch. Um, and I like what the movement did as far as what it allowed people to do as far as experimentation, moving more towards a plant-based diet, which is really the ultimate goal as far as what I try to do with people. How bad is soy? I mean, okay, so you're talking soy, you don't like soy. I put soy in my tea every day and I eat tofu. So is that soy, right? So should I not be one? Should I, what, what is the alternative? I mean, I guess I could put another milk in, a different nut milk, but it doesn't taste the same. The soy milk is better. Yeah, I mean, like everything, it's about moderation. It's not something that you want to do every day, that's for sure. You know, once in a while, uh, my wife, Chelsea, and our little ones will have some tofu because they enjoy it. I personally just don't like it, but for them, they do it in moderation. Uh, I would say the biggest issue with soy is that it's um, an omega-6 fat. It is a pro-inflammatory. It's going to drive up the inflammation in the body. Uh, if you look at a lot of these products, you'll find things like soy, soybean oil, corn, corn oil, even sunflower oil, grapeseed oil, safflower oil. Those are all those dangerous fats that are going to increase the inflammation in the body. We need to have more of these fats that are going to do the opposite. Um, so I don't think soy milk is one that I would suggest or recommend. I think the better swap, Nigel, would be something like unsweetened coconut milk. You can throw some full-fat coconut milk, some hemp milk, some um, unsweetened almond milk. That would be better because you're getting those healthy fats, and uh, it's just going to be less inflammatory to the body. What about oat milk? Oat milk, same thing. Think about where oat comes from. Oat is a grain, another very popular uh, nut milk over the last couple of years. But that would be one of the last things I would put into my body because all grains are going to create inflammation. All grains are going to cause leaky gut. And here's the other thing about grains, which we don't talk about that often. All grains have the ability to become contaminated with something called fungal mycotoxins. These are actually um, fungus toxins that can cause cancer in your body. So I really do my best with most, uh, most people when they can try to get the grains out of the diet. If you have a little oatmeal here or there, listen, you know, it's not going to kill you, but if you're having it every day, it's going to be something that's going to cause issues over time. I'm having them every day, doctor. I'm drinking them every day. I'm having it all the time, for God's sake. So what I would do is maybe alternate it every three or four days. Um, if you're going to have it, what you want to do is put some healthier things inside of that. So throw in some chia seeds, some hemp seeds, maybe um, some other healthy fats because what that will do will help negate some of the inflammatory effects of the oatmeal. Gluten-free oatmeal will be better, but even that, you know, in Get Off Your Acid, my first book, there was a section where I said, there's nothing free about gluten-free. 
another way, Tom, how the manufacturers got us. Because what's that gluten protein that causes so much damage in our body? It's gliadin. That's what you find in like wheat and barley and rye. But what you find in things like gluten-free oatmeal is something called avenin. Now, it's a different protein, but it's just as harmful to your body as something like gliadin. So you get a lot of these people who are on, who have celiac and they're shopping the gluten-free aisle. And here's the problem is they take the gluten out, what are they putting in its place? Sugar and artificial sweetener. So they just swapped one acid for another acid. And then the other thing is that you don't realize that there's other dangerous proteins that are causing that leaky gut. And I'm going to tell you, I firmly believe based on my own research, my own live blood cell testing in my wellness center, leaky gut is the cause of all dis-ease in the body. That's where things sneak and leak into the body, stuff like undigested food, undigested protein, you know, yeast, fungus, mold, toxins. So it's really so important that we do things that's going to really help build up that wall, that dam in our gut um, that's going to strengthen it so that we can absorb our foods better. Because you guys got to remember, we're not what we eat. You're what you digest, absorb, and assimilate. And the problem is, is as we age, our guts are paying the price from just a lifetime of stacking of stress and acidic foods and environmental toxins. And what happens is our guts are just a wreck. Um, I do some testing called GI map. It's like a DNA stool sample test. And we literally can look at the entire microbiome. We see if you're digesting your food, we can look at the weeds in the garden, whatever those, those stealth pathogens are. Because the reality is, is that our garden is, is the, or the gut is like a garden. We want more flowers, not as many weeds. And for most of us, because of sugar and antibiotics and grains, the weeds are overtaking the garden. So it's really important that we start to do some testing, especially as we age, because even if you feel good, you don't know what might be building in the body. Let's get it before it becomes something that's more of an issue where it becomes harder to treat. God bless you, Doc. For, for looking at stool samples on our behalf. Oh, I, I don't uh, look at them. I just send them out. <laughs> oh my God. I'm removed. I'm removed from that process. I just read the reports. <laughs> I think it's great that Nigel knows that if he start, if he starts, if he drops the oat milk stuff, he'll he'll immediately start looking less bloated. And remember, leaky butt, leaky gut, leaky butt. I mean, like, do you know something? I'm glad. I'm really glad this is a podcast because your hand gestures, and I guess this must be something to do with your Italian heritage. But you really do have the most incredible way of describing what you're what what you're talking about with your hands, and especially Italian. I mean, Come on, it's the paisano. Yeah, we've got we have the environmental kind of over thing with the hand, and then we have the we have the, the gut the inner gut thing, which made me feel very uncomfortable. There's, there's absolutely it's only it's a shame it's, you you can't see it because it is very descriptive. No, I, I, I remember seeing Tom every time you were talking about it. Tom was going like this, like. I think, I think he's starting to regret having me on today because of all the things that you're going to have to change in your diet now. <laughs> I trust me. Do you know what? The only thing I'm regretting right now is that it's, it's so I'm over in, obviously in the UK and it's now nearly nine, it's nine o'clock in the evening. And by the way, I'll ask you this because eating, obviously it's better to eat earlier than, than later. And I can smell some sea bass cooking, which I suppose is all right, depending on what it's cooked in, right? And depends yeah. what goes with it. I'm a bit nervous about that. But the, the the leaky gut thing is is really staying. I can't. It's, it's an unfortunate expression that's that's staying with me right now. I'm going to have to get rid of this before I go into dinner. Yeah, leaky gut, leaky butt, Tom. Um, and <laughs> I, I think you know, Doctor Jeffrey is being extraordinarily kind with us. Before we let you go, we have something called last orders, which is a little rapid fire question moment. Some of these questions are the same. We ask every guest the very same questions and, and get their answers. And there's one or two just in there for you. All right. So. Favorite cheat meal? 
a little bit of chocolate here and there. I like chocolate, but again, um, I'll go with more of a dark chocolate. I used to eat milk chocolate, but dark chocolate is more of my thing these days. That's a caveat. That's hardly a meal, for God's sake. It's a cheat. Oh, it's not a cheat meal. I thought you meant like a cheat, uh, cheat food. It's a cheating answer right there. You just cheated again. <laughs> Give me a grill meal. Like, what do you eat? Are you hamburger? Oh, I know you don't eat hamburgers, but pancakes? Or, I mean, what do you do? Pasta. You're Italian. You eat pasta. I'm, I'm pasta, but I don't even eat wheat pasta anymore. That's something that I moved away from. Uh, it's really more about the sauce. So we go more with the zoodles and things like that. But yeah, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I got to say, I have always loved pizza. But you know, my wife makes an incredible vegan pizza, uh, and that's going to be like something that I love. But uh, you know, I got to say, you got to give it to those New Yorkers. That's what they're famous for. Is that New York pizza? Those New York bagels. I don't eat bagels, but uh, once in a while, you can sneak a piece of that in there here and there. Simply, basically, better put that he's just not a cheat. You know, there's no <laughs> cheating involved with this guy. Well, you so know, anyway. this, is, this is something I'll never forget what Kelly Ripa said when I was talking to her. She says, a cheat meal will turn into a cheat lifestyle. So, listen, it's about balance. That's the name of this game. I'll tell The Rock that. Dwayne The Rock <laughs> Johnson. His famous cheat meals when he puts, like, 50 pancakes and he eats the whole stack. And then he eats, like, 10 plates of sushi. I mean, I guess the guy's burning calories like there's no tomorrow. Either that or he's got a completely... Well, well, there, there's another one. I, I, I'm a big... I like sushi, so, you know, that's where the white rice does come into my diet. So I'll never turn down some sushi. In fact, I think we're going to have some uh, friends over tonight and have a little sushi party. Uh, so we will definitely be having some of that. It's not very often you're going to see a sushi bar use quinoa or wild rice. There you go. But that, maybe that's going to be a thing. I, I, yeah. I, we could start that up, Dr. Jeffrey. I think that's a, an idea right there. Are we gonna don't be, tell anybody. Let's get that don't one out. Don't tell anybody. We, we heard it here first, people. First concert you ever attended. Wow, this is awesome. Uh, Depeche Mode, 1987, Brendan Byrne Arena, New Jersey. I was 12 years old. I went with my brother, and I've seen every Depeche Mode concert every year ever since then. And this comes full circle because uh, we went to Turks and Caicos last year, right when the pandemic happened. And my wife said, I've never seen you starstruck, Daryl, ever. We were sitting down and right across from me, I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, that's Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. And I'm like, Chelsea, you know, like, I'm, I'm just like paralyzed, right? And she's like, Daryl, I've never seen you like that. And I would never say something to anybody, you know, when they're enjoying their meal, but I had to. And I go, excuse me, sir. I go, are you Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode? And he, he obviously said yes. And, um, you know, it was just a really, really cool moment. And uh, my wife would never let me up on that one because she's never seen my face more red before. Uh, but it was really, really exciting. Then you told him to stop eating acid. <laughs> he was very clean eating. I was actually quite impressed. Very, very healthy. Amazing. Amazing. And a great band, too, by the way. I love that. Um, what floats your boat and gets your goat? Music. Um, I'm passionate about music. Uh, I think one of those hidden things people don't know about me is I play the ukulele. Music is what kind of just takes me away. If I'm feeling very stressed, uh, I will just play some music. It gets me into peak state. On my phone, I have what's called the Acid Kicking Power List. It's my power songs. And listen, we all have moments where, where you know, sometimes life can beat you up a little bit. But every day, um, I start my day playing powerful music in the car. My kids call them power songs. They're doing the power moves like that. We all have a power move to get into peak state. So music is a huge part of my life. I love reggae music. So I'm always, I'm always trying to keep myself in that peak state, as I mentioned earlier, because when I make choices in that, it's always going to be a better choice. I love to run. Music is always a big part of my run. Amazing. And what, what gets your goat, which means what upsets you? Oh, I thought that, I thought that meant what, what gets me going. <laughs> um, I would say people that chew really loud is one. That's one of my pet peeves. And uh, 
perfectionism. You know, I, again, I think it's um, a real big issue. I used to be perfect and it's just, or, or tried to be perfect, right? But it's never possible. It's only going to sabotage your results. So I really try to remove that word from my vocabulary. Um, words like can't and should. So whenever someone says, I can't, I should, you know, it's like, those are just excuses. Those are just words. You got to turn your can'ts into must. I always say, you got to stop shooting all over yourself. When that happens, it's a game changer. So those are three words out of vocabulary. No shitting all over yourself and no leaky butt. We're getting there. We're understanding you now. Okay, in the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Robin Williams, my favorite actor of all time. Robin Williams, that's interesting. You guys seen Patch Adams before? A long time ago I saw it, but yeah, I know, I know the Brilliant. movie. Brilliant movie. I love him. Everything about him, he just gives me chills. I think he's the most talented person I've ever seen. Just so sad how we lost him. But um, I thought Patch Adams was just a brilliant movie. And I just love the, I love him as a person. Um, I love just how how committed he was to his roles and what he did and how he made people just feel differently. But that specific movie of all of his movies was my favorite because it's kind of in par about helping people and just um, the really most getting down to this question with who's the sexiest person that looks most like them. They don't get all into the, the emotional side of the movie that, that potentially could have been like them. I, I would have looked at you and gone someone like Tom Cruise or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> he could potentially be Tom Cruise. And but I loved I love the, the truth. The truth of Dr. Jeffrey here is and last final question. Shaken or stirred? I gotta say stirred because that's how I started the day with today. So it's all about the stir. You have stirred us up, my friend, and what you've set, set us off to. Well, listen, guys, um, I, I really appreciate both of you. This is, this is so awesome what you guys are doing. And um, just you know, on, on a real level here, just the message that you're getting out, uh, it's never been more important. People need to hear this. And I think it's in human history since I've been alive. I think this has never been a more important time that we talk about health, we talk about energy, um, and just helping people get through the stressful times that we're dealing with right now. And um, I want to just acknowledge both of you for uh, what you've done in your past and what you're doing now in your present. And um, it's just really incredible. So uh, I appreciate you guys uh, for helping change other people's lives and for having me on. It means the world to me. Uh, it's an honor and a, and a privilege for me to be with you guys today. And I would do this as often as you guys want to, because I, I think you guys are incredible, uh, just amazing human beings. And um, just for what you're doing to literally mankind right now. It's well, we love it. Listen, everybody out there, Get Dr. Joffrey's books. Get off your sugar. Feels great, by the way. It's, it's, it's a real easy, great book to read, easy to read too, which is super important, this kind of subject matter. Get off your acid. There's so many things. He's alchemized all his incredible products to help neutralize your coffee and everything else you want to eat. I'm sticking it in my smoothies. I'm putting it in everything. I've, I've got you in all parts of my diet. You bloody well better be good for me. Otherwise, I'm a real mess because you've got me consuming everything. And Nigel, to that point, I think what I appreciate most about you is how you live a balanced life. You I mean, look at you. You said you're 50. I want to test your biological age sometime in my office. You're probably going to be 12 years old. I mean, that's a, that's how that's how good you're looking. And, you know, it's from the inside out, obviously. We have to understand is that everything we do happens from the inside out. So it's about balance. It doesn't have to be perfect, guys, but it definitely needs to be better. If there's one takeaway I want you to take home with you today is Figure out your why. What's your purpose? Why are you here? Make it compelling. Make it really move you. And then once you do that, just start to start somewhere. Start with one thing. Start to add it. And as you do it, master that one thing, then move on to the next. It might take a little longer, but guess what? There's a stacking effect to that. And over time, as I like to say, it's going to turn you into a strength-eating, acid-kicking health machine. And that's the goal. We want to just be healthier. Woohoo! There you go, people. Shake it instead. Dr. Joffrey style. Cheers, guys. 
thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.